Will you pray with me as we prepare to receive God's word together? Oh God, indeed, our eyes have not seen and our ears have not heard and our minds have not been able to imagine uh, the depth of your love, uh, the depth of your divine nature. But in your kindness, you have given us your word and you have given us your spirit. And Holy Spirit, we ask that in this hour now, uh, you will expand our vision, expand what we can hear, expand our imaginations so that we can more fully comprehend how amazing the resurrection of Jesus Christ is and love you more for it. Hear our prayer, Lord. Amen. So to state the obvious, uh, spring has finally come here to northern Illinois. Uh, it has been a long time in coming, but the signs of new life and rebirth uh, are all around us. You only need to look outside the window on a day like today. There's actually daffodils now. There's buds on the trees. Uh, from my office on the north side of this building, um, you can see magnolia trees that are blooming on the south side of Park Place next door. Last week, there were no magnolia flowers on these trees. I took this picture yesterday. Am I the only one? It makes me really happy and relieved. <laughs> as good as this is, friends, because of Jesus' resurrection, a more dramatic and beautiful rebirth is waiting for you and me. This is why since Easter Sunday morning, we have been diving deep into Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, which are all about the resurrection the theology of the resurrection, how it works, what is going to happen for us, how it's going to happen, and why it matters in the end. This morning we're going to hear from this amazing chapter of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 50, 15, 20 through 28. The Word of God says this, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, for since death came through a human, a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Will you read this next line with me? For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in their own turn. Christ the firstfruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. This scripture teaches that clearly Jesus goes first when it comes to resurrection. In fact, this passage is teaching that Jesus is the one and only truly human being as we sit here today in worship. Have you ever thought of it this way? What I'm saying is I am not yet truly a human being and neither are you. You are not yet fully human. Does that seem strange? What are we if we're not yet fully human? We are fallen human. We are fallen human beings, and Jesus is the first. The first fruits of those who are coming back from the dead. Jesus is the first and currently one and only fully, truly alive human being as we were intended to be at creation. Now, sometimes we use this theological word that we are depraved 
human beings. This is not a very uh, popular word to bandy about uh, North American culture these days. It's not easily understood. As depraved human beings, we are tainted. It does not mean that we are depraved, that we are all as bad and wicked as we could be all the time. That is not what it means. It simply means that in our fallenness, everything we do, the best of what we do, the worst of what we do, it all has the taint, the, the hue of sin attached to it. But there is one person for whom this is not true. Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life and then was raised by the power of God from the dead. Now, this passage teaches that when it comes to human beings, there are going to be two lines or two cues, if I can put it that way. Do you know the word cue? Q-U-E, U-E. It's a word that in the last 20 years with the internet has been uh, started to be used much more frequently in terms of uh, coding language and standing in line digitally speaking. So this passage teaches that there are two lines or two cues. The first one has at the forefront of the line Adam and Eve. Paul only mentions Adam, but he's, I don't want to be gender exclusive here. Adam and Eve, right at the front of the line, our original parents who willfully fell into sin, and like it or not, all of us are born to stand in line after them. It is the endless line of fallen human beings. And in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, a second line or cue has been created. It's the cue of the, those who are truly alive human beings who are touched by the blood of Christ and touched by the resurrection power of God that brought this first person in line back from the dead. And Paul is saying, you have the opportunity to stand in either of these lines for eternity. Both are possible at this point. As I was thinking about this passage this week, I imagined, uh, I imagined Jesus, I hope this isn't too irreverent, with like a basketball jersey on. And he is number one, right? Because he's first in line. And after him, coming after him, because we benefit from his resurrection, we are all number one point, maybe I'm number one point four billion eight hundred you know, seventy-eight. But we are numbered and named because of the first person at the front of this line. Jesus' number, uh, in a good way, affects and infects and taints everybody who stands in line after him. Now, to put it in a kind of playful way, the way to be rescued from the original fallen line of sin is by getting in the rescue. Thank you for laughing slightly. We pay you to be here, though. So. <laughs> right? We all need to be rescued from our sin, from who we are by birth, and by standing in line after Jesus, by being in the resurrection queue. That is how it happens. In this line, with Adam and Eve, there is sin. 
In this line, with Jesus Christ, there is holiness and purity. In this line, with Adam and Eve, there is sickness. In this line, with Jesus Christ, there is health. I mean, not just physical health, health in every sense of the word. In this line, with Adam and Eve, there is death. In the queue of Jesus Christ, there is eternal life. In the line with Adam and Eve, there is weakness and the slow undoing and ultimate destruction of all things semi-human. In the line with Jesus Christ is strength and power and the ascension of all things to be truly human by the power of God. Is there any question what line you want to be in? In Christ, there is health and wholeness and growth and an eternal springtime of flourishing and victory and loveliness and life. How do we get more of this? There is a hinge line in these verses where Paul says, Christ first, and then, wait for it, people, when he comes, those of us who belong to him. We do not yet enjoy, of course, the full benefits of standing in line with Christ, but there is a day coming when he returns. The passage continues and elaborates on this idea this way. Paul says, then the end will come, the hinge point, when he, Jesus, hands over the kingdom to God the Father, and after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Yes and amen to that. A hinge point in eternity is coming when Jesus Christ returns in the flesh. Now, by modern standards, it is nonsense to believe in Jesus' bodily resurrection. Right? If we talk about this idea in public, people will look at you like you're a little silly. Jesus really came back from the dead? It is even more nonsense in our culture to say that you believe that Jesus Christ is coming back on the clouds of heaven at the end of history in the flesh, in his resurrected flesh. But this, by faith, I believe. This, by faith, we ought to actually believe that Jesus is coming back physically, bodily, in his resurrected, powerful form. This is such a significant part of our faith, friends, It is all connected. Without Jesus' death on the cross for our sins, there could be no resurrection. If Jesus didn't actually die and go into a tomb, there's no resurrection. Without the resurrection, there can be no second coming. And without a second coming, without Jesus' return in the flesh, there is no hope of resurrection for us. It is all connected. And the end product of all these things that we hold by faith means hope for people like us strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. When Jesus returns, some serious stuff is going to go down according to the scriptures. There are going to be some epic changes in management and some epic turnarounds. 
Everything that has been wrong is going to be righted. Everything that has been unfair and unjust is going to be made just. Anything that has posed or pretended to have lasting power or authority or dominion of any kind is going to be shown to be infinitely superior compared to the power and goodness of Jesus Christ himself. Just in these verses, sometimes we think about Jesus as the bringer of peace. When he comes back in the flesh, twice in this word, in this verse, the word destruction shows up. And in the language of the New Testament, the word for destruction is not just, yeah, I destroyed the drywall in my kitchen, like I took it down. It is utter and absolute eternal destruction. So I play the piano a little bit, right? Sometimes I fashion myself even to be somewhat of a musical expert. Sometimes when I let my mind wander, I even try to think about, you know, what music on the other side in eternal heavenly worship might be like. One of the things that is going to happen when Jesus returns, this is just a very small example, is that all of us who fashion ourselves current musical experts are going to be shown for how ignorant we actually are. Because what is going to happen after Jesus returns in the flesh is a music and a harmony and a beauty that is infinitely beyond what my little mind can currently imagine or what my little cans can fashion out of this incredible instrument. I mean, pianos have only been around for 300 years of human history. And somehow, when I think about it, of course there's pianos in heaven. God has something infinitely better. And my musical powers are going to be revealed for the absolute nothing that they are. And together, God is going to raise up some kind of choir and awesome, harmonious thing that will make any musical excellence here on this earth totally and utterly irrelevant. Anything that poses or pretends to have some kind of expertise or authority here and now is going to be wiped out and God is going to give something so, so, so much better. Do you think you're wealthy right now? It is nothing compared to the wealth that we are going to experience together because of Jesus Christ. I mean, better than a bank account kind of wealth. Do you think you are lovely and attractive right now? That is nothing compared to what we are all going to experience in a resurrected body. Do you think you have good, healthy relationships right now? The best relationship you have right now is just a pale shadow, a ghostly and ghastly comparison to the worst relationship that you're going to have on the other side. There was a common uh, saying in the early church that went like this, Christ is risen from the dead trampling over death by death. This line has made it into a contemporary worship song, by the way. We, we sang it here on Easter Sunday morning. Christ is risen from the dead, and how did he earn the victory? He trampled over death by death. I love this saying. 
okay? Sometimes in our modern world, we're a little squeamish about death. Funerals in the course of my life have gotten a little more sanitized. We prefer not to be around corpses these days. Thank you very much. In fact, kind of our holding death at arm's length has gotten so far that I would say of all the civilizations that have ever existed, we have gone farther in the scientific pursuit of even avoiding looking old. Know what I'm saying? I can dye my hair. I can get shots in my face. I can do lots of things to avoid this. I'm not knocking anybody. I'm just saying as a culture, we prefer to hold death. The early church embraced death and the idea that we are all sooner rather than later going to die, and that is not a bad thing because the greatest victory and our hope is that Christ Jesus trampled over death by death. So why would you want to avoid death when it is the antidote and window into salvation for all of us? You hear what I'm saying? To put it in sports terms, say there was a basketball team who... They're going to play the Golden State Warriors. Say it's Jeff Klein. He's a famous basketball player. There's a team of our staff members, and we're going to play the Golden State Warriors. And we are going to beat them by shooting as many three-pointers as possible. Right? The Golden State Warriors are known for making a million three-pointers a game. We are going to beat them by raining down even more three-pointers on them. And then if we played the Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron James, we would out-brawn LeBron. You know what I'm saying? Like we would muscle up and we would just like body up the Cleveland Cavaliers. We would out-muscle them. We would beat them at their own game. This is what God does. Death seems to be the great enemy, but God beats Satan and his number one power, death and the fear of death, with his own game. And the early church said, you know what? That is awesome. I'm proud of that. That God is going to bring me to eternal life. That God defeated the great enemy with its own trick. How humiliating is that for death and Satan? You know, your best trick. And somebody outdoes you with that very thing. By the way, even in the here and now, God offers this to you as the way to holiness. We all have different things, different sins that we, in our depraved nature, love. Say you have a special penchant for lying, for stretching the truth. If you will allow him, Jesus Christ will make you uh, especially honest and truthful as you live and walk with him. And he can, because if you're prone to stretching the truth... You know the temptation to lie better than somebody who's naturally a little more honest. And as you walk with Christ, you will be so familiar with the temptations to lie that you can see them coming a mile off and avoid them. And it's your way of mocking Satan and the power of evil by being a Jesus-loving person who tells the truth. With whatever sin you struggle with, if you will allow him, God can make that an area of uh, special strength and shining virtue in your life. Not that the temptation is ever going to go away, but that you can sniff it out two miles away because you are so familiar with it. Isn't this a hopeful thought? Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. 
This passage concludes uh, with these verses. Uh, Notice on this page, there are a lot of everythings. If you could chime in every time we get this word, because this is is very important to Paul's heart and the word of God here. For Jesus has put under his feet. And now when, when it says that, has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God the Father himself, who put under Christ. And when he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put under him, so that God may be Now these words, all in all, in Greek, are the exact same as all of the everythings in English. Okay, so at the end of this passage... That God may be everything in everything. This is a lot of everything. (laughs) Right? Paul is talking about a really big picture here. How encompassing is everything? Pretty all-encompassing. What is left out of everything? Nada. Nothing. Right? Right? A huge part of Jesus Christ's current job description is to bring everything together, to weave everything together, every atom, every life circumstance, every experience, every virtue, every sin. Are there things outside of everything? Everything together and then present it to God the Father. Jesus' job description is to restore things to their rightful place, to bring things back to the way they are supposed to be, a world no longer infected with sin and depravity, the way things were designed to be, and then to bring this kingdom to God the Father, saying, Father, I have restored everything, I'm responsible for it, and then Jesus, the only begotten Son of himself, will put himself under the authority of God the Father so that God will be all in all, everything in everything. Now, we are tempted all the time to think there are things in our life or in the universe or in history that somehow are outside of this category of everything. Have you ever been tempted to think this, that something is irredeemable? That God could not darken this corner. God couldn't do anything with this experience. This is untrue. Jesus' salvation, the work of Christ, is so big and powerful and beautiful that all things will be brought under the responsibility of Jesus Christ and then presented to God the Father. Heavy metal music? Is that part of everything? Sauerkraut? Can you call some things out? I'm what unlikely candidates. What? Mosquitoes. They are part of everything. Bugs? Floods. Oh, mercy. God did some pretty good work with a flood once, though. <laughs> Even floods. Spiders. 
cancer, our sickness, our bodily weakness. Pardon? Aging. One more time. I still didn't hear it. Loss of power. That one is going to be, yes. There will be no more loss of power, but yes. Dark matter? Black holes? The Chicago White Sox? I mean, everything. (laughs) Not in its current form. Like, God is going to bring truly everything, everything, everything about this world, about this universe, about you, under the authority of Jesus Christ, And then God will be all in all. And to that I say, Lord, haste the day. I'm going to suggest a prayer for you this week as a way of tapping into this point of faith. And it is simply this. uh, Oh God, please make fill in the blank new. And in your goodness, would you let me see it in the land of the living? That means in this life. Is there something in your life that you are struggling to believe that God can be at work in? This is a bold prayer, but we believe in the God who raises the dead. I'm pretty confident God can take these prayers and handle our praying for something and even taking the extra step for asking to see the evidence of his answer in this life. Now, God may say, wait for it. That would be perfectly fair, and you need to be open to that as an answer of prayer. But this is a bold prayer. Oh, God, please make this part of my life, this part of the world, new. And in your goodness, would you let me see it in the land of the living? By the way, God promises to make all things new. He doesn't promise to make all new things. This is a very different idea. Like the universe is not going on the scrap heap, but he is making all things new. This is made possible by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the first one in line being made new. Jesus had a physical body like you and me, it died, it bled. It went into a tomb, and then God made the body of his only begotten son new. That is what is coming for you and me. Some years ago, uh, 1982 to be precise, some archaeologists in Japan unearthed a 2,000-year-old tomb, and among the artifacts in this ancient Japanese tomb was a collection of... Uh, food stuff. There were some seeds found there amongst carbonized beans and rice. Good to know people were eating rice and beans 2,000 years ago as well. These archaeologists wondered what to do with this. And somewhere along the line, some of these seeds got turned over to a university professor Uh, a lecturer at Yamaguchi University. All this is happening, by the way, on the outskirts of Hiroshima, Japan. If you recall what happened in Hiroshima, Japan, okay? 
This uh, Japanese professor soaked the 2,000-year-old seed and then planted it, watered it, cared for it, and let nature take its course. This seed sprouted and grew, and a year and a half later, several magnolia buds appeared, and this tree has now matured and has become a beautiful seven-foot-high pink Japanese magnolia. It was grown from a 2,000-year-old seed, and this magnolia tree now blooms, typically, early April, Eastertide, every year. Through 20 centuries, the seed waited in a dark tomb. This tiny seed slept, waiting to be rediscovered, hanging on to the secret of life, the genetics encoded deep within it, until somebody planted it and cared for it and nurtured it. This strikes me as a near-perfect analogy for what is coming for us. Again, this happened at the site of one of the human race's most brutal moments where we wielded our destructive power to take life, to undo things. And yet this seed survived 2,000 years and has been brought back to life and now turned into a growing, living, beautiful thing. This is how it was with Jesus. It only took three days. This is how it is going to be with you, my friend in Christ, whether it's three days or three years or 3,000 years or more till Christ returns. The resurrection power of God is at work in you. We have a taste. Even now, we have just a little foretaste, which is why we can pray with boldness. But the day is coming when you are going to be made new. Amen. Will you pray with me? Oh God, we are thankful for the mysteries that are recorded in the scriptures. For the mystery of Jesus' resurrected life. For the mystery that is coming of his return on the clouds of heaven in the flesh. And God, by faith with good hope, we cling uh, to the truth that this is coming for us too. And God, we humbly but forcefully pray in our own life and times for people we love. Oh God, in your goodness, will you make the stuff of our life new and let us see some glimpse of it even now while we are in the land of the living. God, let us not confuse these glimpses uh, with the unimaginable glory that is waiting for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to invite our deacons forward in just a moment. A couple short announcements. First, on Thursday this week in uh, America, it is the National Day of Prayer. Starting at 9 in the morning, we're going to have the opportunity to, in the basement of this building, simply come for as short or as long as you want and uh, pray through some different rooms and stations uh, in the basement. At high noon, there's going to be a short half-hour prayer service right here on the platform. And then uh, at 7 p.m., there's going to be a bigger and longer and more intense prayer service 
right in this room. Uh, Jack McNamara has been leading the charge for us, uh, inviting and gathering folks from around the community. Um, so I invite you to participate at any point during the day. Secondly, last week we had this beautiful collaboration with uh, Compassion International. As a result of that collaboration, we are able to, as a community, uh, sponsor 180 children around the world who did not previously have sponsorship. Um, just want to make clear, we as a church did not get any kind of like kickback or benefit from doing this. If you heard Cecilia's testimony and what being sponsored by Compassion did for her, just think, there are 180 children in the world now who have the opportunity to live that kind of story as a result of just one week in our community. Like, praise God for that. Anybody? Praise God for that? I mean, seriously. Um, so Compassion does uh, identify and name particularly uh, high-needs children. So we have 12 cases that are remaining that Compassion would ask us to go above and beyond. Um, one of those was already taken before the service this morning, so there's a little table just out to uh, the left of the center doors. If you meant to do this last week or if the Holy Spirit has been tugging on your heart to do this and you weren't able to a week ago, Kara Hackert will be there. And uh, special thanks to Kara, who is our point person for this uh, beautiful work and project. Um, so with that in mind, invite the deacons forward. Invite you as God's people to be generous because God has done everything for us. Thank you. 